0: That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify
1: soon. Due to the graphic nature of this kingpin's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
0: It was a cool October afternoon in Mumbai, India. 24-year-old Dawood Ibrahim and his 25-year-old brother, Shabir Kaskar, left a police station after being questioned about a recent attempted murder. The year was 1980, and the brothers were being escorted by their friend and mentor, Khalid Khan, back to their headquarters.
1: They were only a few minutes out from the station when Dawood saw the man with the gun. He recognized the shooter. It was Amirzada, a high-ranking member of his rival gang, the Paton.
0: Dawood reached for his own gun, forgetting that he wasn't armed. He looked up, frozen like a deer in headlights, as Amirzada and his cousin Alamzeb Approached the car with guns raised.
1: Khalid Khan acted quickly and pushed Dawood out of the way just as Amirzada and Alamzeb opened fire. Dawood felt the blood from Khalid's arm trickle onto his face. Khalid was unfazed, though. He drew his own weapon and returned fire forcing the would-be assassins to flee the scene.
0: Dawood Ibrahim had faced death but came out with barely a scratch. It was in this moment he became a legend, invincible and unstoppable.
1: Welcome to Kingpin's, a ParCast original I'm Howell Hargit.
0: And I'm Kate Leonard. Every Friday, we journey inside the ranks of organized crime rings, from street gangs to mafiosos, to understand how a kingpin or queenpin rises to the top of the underworld
1: and why they fall. As we follow the lives of infamous crime bosses, we'll explore how money and power changed them and how it changed the community around them. You can find episodes of Kingpins and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Kingpins for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Kingpins in the search bar.
0: At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Network.
1: And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help us.
0: This is our first episode on Dawood Ibrahim, one of the world's richest criminals. This week, we'll explore his rise from a small village in India to becoming a billionaire crime lord.
1: Next week, we'll look at how his multinational underground syndicate became deeply connected with terrorism, which in turn ultimately led him to go into hiding, where he presumably remains to this day.
0: Dawood Ibrahim came up in the Mumbai underworld by bringing a corporate approach to crime. Whereas other Mumbai gangs were loosely organized and chaotic, Dawood oversaw an organized chain of command.
1: His gang, D Company, was involved in a variety of illegal enterprises, from extortion to money laundering to gambling rackets, including on Daoud's favorite sport, cricket.
0: Daoud's status as a crime lord gave him access to watch every moment of every important cricket match from the best box in any stadium. Even better, if he wanted to, he could walk in and out of the players' dressing rooms without invitation, Or objection.
1: On one such occasion in 1986, he confidently strolled into the Indian team's dressing room before the Sharjah Cup final in the United Arab Emirates. India was preparing to take on Pakistan.
0: Dawood demanded an audience with the players and the team had no choice but to oblige him. Even though he was only 30 years old, his murderous reputation had spread to every corner of Mumbai. No one wanted to be on the receiving end of his wrath.
1: Dawood looked around the room at every player. He spoke firmly, demanding a victory. As famed cricketer Dilip Vingsakar related in interviews years later, Dawood attempted to rally the Indian team by saying, if you guys win the tournament, I will give all of you a Toyota
0: car." Under most circumstances, this offer would be seen as a generous gift from an enthusiastic supporter. But the players knew that gifts from Dawood Ibrahim were bought with blood money.
1: The team captain bravely demanded that Dawood leave, rejecting his offer. This was a rare moment for the D Company leader, Since building his empire, Dawood had become accustomed to people doing what he said, whether by their choice or his insistence.
0: Maybe it was his admiration for the sport or his country's team that allowed the players to keep their lives that day. Even they knew that most who dared cross him didn't live long enough to tell the story. Instead, Dawood nodded and returned to his seat Already seething with anger, his day only got worse as he sat and watched India lose to Pakistan. Dawood didn't like losing, and he didn't like being around losers. He was a conqueror, a destroyer, a kingpin.
1: Dawood Ibrahim Kaskar was born on December 26, 1955, in Kid a small village located in Maharashtra, India. When Dawood was still young, his family moved to the bustling city of Mumbai, then known as Bombay.
0: His family settled into the Muslim-dominated neighborhood of Timkar, Mohalla. His father, Ibrahim Kaskar, worked as a head constable with the Mumbai Police Criminal Investigation Department while his mother stayed home and raised Dawood along with his eight brothers and four sisters.
1: His parents were only able to provide a lower middle class life for Dawood and his siblings. But even as a child, Dawood had big dreams for his future.
0: Dawood never had much use for school. It hardly affected him when he was told that the family could no longer afford his schooling. He was already looking for ways to get ahead on his own terms.
1: Daud tried his hand as a car mechanic while also driving rickshaws on the crowded Mumbai streets. But all his efforts generated a very modest income. He didn't want a life peddling away for scraps. He wanted to find a way to make some real money.
0: Daoud's one indulgence during this period was gully cricket, an unofficial form of the sport usually played in the city's alleys. While he enjoyed playing as an amateur cricketer, his love for the sport did little to put cash in his pocket.
1: Even as he remained passionate about cricket, the teenage Daoud turned his efforts to crime. He initially engaged in petty crime and fraud on his own, targeting Mumbai's busy Crawford Market. Alongside sellers of poultry, fruit, vegetables, and imported goods, Dawood sold cheap knockoff watches, fooling customers with fake price tags.
0: Realizing he needed to expand his operation, Dawood recruited a group of fellow kids from his Dongri neighborhood. This idea likely came at the suggestion of Dawood's mentor, and later protector, Khalid Khan.
1: Khalid Pelwan was a massive man. His known alias, Pelwan, actually means wrestler. Khalid's imposing figure might lead the unassuming denizens of the Mumbai underworld to assume that the man was merely some dumb muscle. But Khalid had brains as well as brawn. He graduated with an economics degree and applied that knowledge in his dealings as a gold smuggler.
0: Dawood and Khalid met on the streets of Mumbai, and Khalid took a quick liking to the ambitious young man. Eventually, Khalid became a sort of mentor to Dawood, teaching him economics and business management.
1: He also taught him how to fight. Khalid trained Dawood in unarmed close combat and knife fighting. Dawood wasn't the biggest kid on the block, so, Khalid showed him how to use his agility in a fight. The lanky Dawood learned how to perfectly aim an elbow assault just below an enemy's chin and break their neck.
0: Dawood absorbed the lessons like a sponge. He took what he learned from Khalid, both in economics and combat, and applied it to the streets. As Khalid watched his young protege make a name for himself, he swore that no matter what, he would stand by Daoud's side as his protector.
1: Dawood kept a ragtag group of boys around him. Some were his relatives from his birthplace of Ratnangiri, while others were friends from his Dongri neighborhood.
0: The gang formed an extreme sense of loyalty to Daoud. He had given them a way out of poverty, a way to support themselves and their families that they never would have been able to find on their own. In exchange, they did his bidding. No matter what it was, he asked of them.
1: By the early 1970s, the teenage Dawood had organized the gang into a small-time smuggling ring. Smuggling was a common crime in Mumbai at that time. The city had a bustling underground market for precious metals, electronics, and other high-value items.
0: They had some steep competition, most notably Haji Mastan's gang and Karim Lala's Patan gang, both of whom had become infamous in the city.
1: As Dawood deepened his underworld roots, he and his brother, Shabir, began to work with Karim Lala's gang. Karim, born in 1911, ran underground gambling and liquor dens in the Dongri area, Dawood's neighborhood. He also was involved in smuggling jewelry, extortion rackets, and trading contraband like hashish.
0: Karim was greatly respected, mainly because he was one of the city's most senior gang leaders. Seeing an opportunity to get in Karim's good graces, Dawood and Shabir became a pair of toughies for Karim.
1: The Tuffies scoured the Mumbai streets, collecting money from the traders who defaulted on their payments to Karim.
0: At some point during their work with Karim, Daoud and his men encroached on rival gangster Haji Mastan's territory. Haji was known as a man who tried to avoid violence, but he became so irate that he ordered his men to rough up some of the other gang's men to send a message. Dawood needed to back off.
1: Much like Dawood, Haji came from a lower income family. He started out working 12 hour days at the city's docks earning just five rupees a day, which would be about seven cents in U.S. currency today. But Haji saw his access to the port as a path towards a better life.
0: Haji turned his hand-to-mouth existence into a smuggling enterprise that made him millions. His organization moved gold, silver, watches, and radios. He quickly became India's first major crime boss. But his status didn't scare Dawood.
1: Dawood couldn't allow Haji's attack to go without retribution. He wanted to send a message of his own that he and his crew were not to be trifled with.
0: On December 4th, 1974, 18-year-old Dawood received a tip that a money courier would be carrying a very large amount of rupees to Haji's house in the Malabar Hill, a posh section of southern Mumbai. Dawood armed his men with blades, hand-assembled revolvers, and iron rods, and they set out for a brazen heist.
1: At around 2.30 p.m., the taxi ferrying the money courier flew past them. The trio pushed a handcart into the middle of the road, which forced the taxi to screech to a halt. Within minutes, Dawood and his crew grabbed the cash from the car, nearly half a million rupees. But what should have been a moment of triumph quickly turned to panic.
0: The money wasn't haji's. It belonged to the Metropolitan Bank. Daoud and his gang hadn't just completed any robbery. They committed the largest bank robbery in Mumbai in a decade. They didn't know it at the time, but they were on the way to becoming legends.
1: Coming up... Dawood's first major crime became a major stepping stone to his underworld empire.
0: Now back to the story.
1: On December 4, 1974, Dawood Ibrahim stole a small score of rupees in a daring midday robbery. They believed the money belonged to a rival gang leader, Haji Mastan.
0: But the next day, Daoud discovered that the money wasn't even Haji's. It was property of the Metropolitan Bank. Daoud had just committed the city's most successful bank robbery in recent memory.
1: Daoud's father, Ibrahim, still a constable in the criminal investigation department, was assigned to investigate the case. It wasn't long before he discovered that his own son was involved in the crime. When he learned the truth, Ibrahim beat Dawood with a leather belt.
0: Then, he hauled him down to the police station to confess.
1: The police department registered the robbery complaint against Dawood and his crew, but top officials saw Dawood's capture as a chance to take down another organization, the Patan Gang. They offered Dawood leniency in exchange for his help.
0: Dawood offered enough intel on the Patan Gang to avoid prosecution, but he gave up nothing on Haji Mastan. Dawood wanted to deal with Haji himself.
1: As luck would have it, in 1975, 20-year-old Dawood and the 40-year-old Haji found themselves face-to-face in a prison yard after Dawood was arrested on another charge. Haji had been arrested during a period when India was in a state of emergency. Dawood's arrest is unclear, though it appears to not have any connection with the now infamous robbery. Regardless, now that they were both confined to prison, the two men finally had the chance to face each other.
0: But there was no fight. Instead, the two men bonded during their time in prison. Haji saw a hunger in Dawood, and he became another mentor to the young criminal, expanding on what Khalid Khan had taught him. Daoud and Haji were both released from prison in the late 1970s. Now that they were both back on the streets of Mumbai, Daoud continued his underworld education by working with Haji.
1: As his student, Dawood saw the inner workings of the Gold King's empire. Haji's dedicated focus inspired Dawood to be a good and generous leader. He made it a practice to share the riches with his men.
0: Haji also showed Dawood how to shape his criminal business by working with the media, government officials, and the Mumbai police. The cops were more than happy with an under-the-table arrangement to keep them from knocking at Haji's door.
1: Dawood watched as the wealthy smuggler mingled with politicians, business magnates, and Bollywood stars. Haji dressed himself in pure white designer clothes, and he only traveled in his chauffeur-driven, white Mercedes-Benz.
0: Dawood was determined to emulate Haji as soon as he could afford to.
1: With all that Haji had taught him, Dawood was able to apply his criminal education to his own gang, D Company. Over the next few years, D Company worked hand-in-hand with Haji and with Karim Lala's Patan gang.
0: However, the alliance was shaky at best, and D Company soon found itself at odds with Pathan in 1980, after Karim's nephew, Samad Khan, was involved in the murder of Daoud's friend. Karim
1: Lala tried to mediate the trio's breakdown, but all talks proved futile. Daoud began taking over Pathan territory in retaliation. Any gentleman's agreement between the two gangs went out the window. Eventually, the falling out between the two groups brought an end to another code of honor, the one that forbid killing.
0: While Daoud took many lessons from Haji, he didn't share his mentor's aversion to violence. Though he only stood at 5 foot 4 inches, Daoud developed a reputation as a brute. He and his men commonly employed a punch-first, ask-questions-later approach to dealing with problems.
1: Dawood's D Company started openly fighting with the Patans in the streets of Mumbai. The Patans retaliated. They even tried to assassinate Dawood and his brother, Shabir.
0: Dawood and Shabir survived thanks to his first mentor Khalid Khan, who took a bullet during the shooting.
1: Finally, after months of feuding, the war reached a boiling point in February of 1981.
0: On the night of February 12, 1981, 26-year-old Shabir Ibrahim Kaskar was out at a club with his mistress, Chitra. When they finally left in the early hours of the morning, they were followed.
1: At around 1.30 a.m., Shabir pulled his car, a Fiat, into a gas station opposite a Hindu temple.
0: He was about to get out when suddenly, a squad of Pathan hitmen surrounded him. They told Chitra to get out. She did, and they let her go.
1: Once Chitra was out of the way, the hitmen opened fire and killed Shabir. They left behind the bullet and blood-soaked Fiat and moved on to their next target, Dawood.
0: About an hour later, the Pathan crew arrived on Dawood Street. They were hoping to catch him before he learned about his brother's death, but they were not prepared for the squad of D Company bodyguards lying in wait, led by Khalid.
1: Khalid instantly recognized the Patan shooters. He ordered the huge steel door in front of Dawood's house to be closed and sealed. With Dawood safely inside, the D Company boys took action. A shootout erupted. The attackers were injured in the firefight, but they all managed to escape.
0: Once the dust settled, Daoud learned of his beloved brother's murder. Something switched in the crime lord. While he wasn't known to shy away from revenge, Shabir's death was different. It was personal. He wasn't going to let his brother's killers just disappear into the night.
1: After Shabir's death, the streets of Mumbai would run red with blood.
0: Coming up, Dawood cements himself as Mumbai's number one crime lord, even as he's forced to go on the run.
1: Now, back to the story.
0: On February 12, 1981, Members of the Patan gang assassinated Shabir Kaskar, the brother of 25-year-old Dawood Ibrahim. They tried to assassinate Dawood as well, but failed. Now, Dawood was hell-bent on revenge against his brother's killer.
1: Shabir's bullet-ridden body ushered in nearly two decades of violent gang wars, turning the streets of Mumbai into a battlefield. Dawood issued contracts on the lives of every member of the Pathan gang. The city had never seen anything like it before. The first of Shabir's killers to meet their end was Amirzada, the man who had also failed to assassinate Dawood a few months earlier. In September of 1983, Amirzada was shot just outside a Mumbai courthouse.
0: For a time, Dawood had nothing in life, but his bloody crusade. His brother had been his closest friend and confidant. He had sworn off love in order to focus on his revenge. But then in 1983, he met Majabin Sheikh.
1: Dawood and Majabeen began a relationship. And for the first time in a long time, Dawood had something to focus on in his life beside the violence. Even so, the new romance in his life didn't distract him from his ultimate plan to control the city's underworld.
0: It all began as his mentor, Haji Mastan, started giving up his illegal businesses to pursue work in more legitimate industries. Now well into his 60s, the aging smuggler became a film producer, real estate investor, and political activist. In the process of going legitimate, Haji transferred his power over to Daoud. Like any good Don, Haji needed a successor, a man to carry out what he had started. In Daoud, he found it. Little did Haji know that his successor would more than surpass his wealth and the severity of his crimes.
1: As Dawood took control, the city's underworld turned into a violent battlefield of revenge and territory grabs. Over the course of the decade-long bloodbath, over 50 gangsters were gunned down. More than 20 of them were high-profile gang members, like the ones that killed Dawood's brother.
0: In October 1984, over three and a half years since Shabir's murder, another of his assassins finally met his demise.
1: On the morning of October 4th, Karim Lala's nephew, 28-year-old Samad Khan, exited a hotel in the southern part of Mumbai. As the elevator doors opened, Samad was greeted by members of D Company.
0: The unnamed assassins shot Samad over 20 times.
1: The body count from Dawood's crusade was beginning to turn heads. He could feel the pressure coming from the police, as well as the batons. He knew he needed to go into hiding.
0: Not long after Samad's death, the 29-year-old Dawood made his first big move out of India to Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. But Dawood's absence from India didn't stop the gang warfare in Mumbai or D Company's control over the city. Even from roughly 1,200 miles away, Dawood was able to see his gang's activities expand from smuggling to extortion, prostitution, money laundering, gambling, and drug trading.
1: Real estate which was in the midst of a boom in India, also became an interest of Dawood's. He and the other gangsters provided money up front to help builders and financiers outbid other companies buying for property.
0: They also acted as the muscle, forcibly evicting stubborn tenants. Anyone who dared push back ended up with their own plots in the graveyard.
1: But as D Company expanded their activities, they no longer accepted payment in silver blocks. United States dollars and British pounds became the currency of choice. They upgraded their weapons, too. Swords, knives, and revolvers were phased out and replaced by AK-56s and AK-47s.
0: Daoud's business created the biggest Hawala racket in India. Hawala is a commonly used unofficial money transfer system that allows for funds to move outside of legal purview. The illegal conduit system is believed to be deeply intertwined with the underworld. Not just gangs, but terrorist organizations, too.
1: Even with Dawood living in a completely different country, his gang managed to wipe out his rivals, including the remains of the Paton gang, his rampage left him the unopposed king of Mumbai crime.
0: The killings kept people in a state of fear, and no other gang dared to rival him. And with most of his rivals gone, he decided it was time to come home.
1: In 1986, 31-year-old Dawood returned to Mumbai after two years in Dubai. When he landed, he and Pathan leader Karim Lala called an end to their bitter and bloody rivalry. Ajaz Patan, formerly a member of Karim's gang, joined forces with D company, overseeing their growing drug trade across the border in Pakistan.
0: Daoud's return also allowed him to finally marry Mujabeen. After an extended courtship, Daoud asked her father for permission and he agreed.
1: But just 15 days after their wedding, the Mumbai police issued formal charges against Dawood for Samad's murder.
0: Just months after he'd returned to India, Dawood was forced to flee to Dubai once again. But through his network of associates, he continued to hold his grip on the Mumbai underworld.
1: That team of lieutenants included 33-year-old Chota Shaquille. Shaquille had been familiar with a life of crime before linking up with Dawood's gang. He grew up in Mumbai's Nagpur, ghetto, and was also trained by Dawood's mentor, Haji Mastan.
0: After an arrest in December 1988, Shaquille jumped bail fled the country, and joined Dawood in Dubai. He is believed to have been the prime recruiter of contract killers for the D Company back in India.
1: Another key member who worked with Dawood was 34-year-old Chota Rajan. Like many other D Company members, Rajan was a product of urban despair. From Mumbai's eastern suburb of Chimber, he began his career in the illegal world of getting involved in petty crimes. Through Rajan, Dawood met Abdul Razak Tiger Memon, who grew up near Dawood's Dongri district. Climbing the ranks of D Company by age 36, Tiger became one of Dawood's most trusted aides. And it would be Tiger who eventually turned Dawood's illegal activities towards international terrorism.
0: These men oversaw D Company while Daoud was in hiding. But Daoud's absence from India didn't stop the legal system from trying to prosecute his various cases. The trial for his involvement in the 1974 Metropolitan Bank robbery finally saw its conclusion in 1989. All members of the gang were acquitted except Daoud and his right-hand men, Sheer and Saeed, even after this verdict, Dawood had so many charges against him, that several still remain pending to this day.
1: Yet, Dawood continued to expand his illegal dealings outside of India. While in Dubai, he formed an alliance with the local sheikhs, or Arabic tribal leaders, to strengthen his business ventures across the region. He was even said to have engaged with members of the royal families of the gulf emirates
0: and when he wasn't conducting business he enjoyed a life of luxury he consistently hung around with high profile cricket players politicians and bollywood celebrities much like his mentor haji described as having a menacing gaze daoud certainly had a presence as he rose in power he developed a way of talking that drew comparisons to Al Pacino.
1: True to his lavish lifestyle, he would throw extravagant parties where Bollywood heavy hitters had to be present, even if more out of coercion than choice.
0: Dawood's enterprise grew to include financing some of Bollywood's biggest movies. Beginning in the late 1980s and going well into the 1990s, D Company served as underwriters on a number of films. Their funding gave Dawood final say on set, including on casting.
1: Several famed filmmakers have admitted to receiving threatening calls, demanding they share their profits with Dawood or face fatal consequences. Dawood's gang was known to have murdered several in the Bollywood world who didn't follow orders.
0: He also took advantage of his position by having affairs with famous actresses, including Bollywood star Mandakini.
1: A few years later, around 1990, Mandakini suddenly stopped filming new movies. It was said that she moved to Dubai to be Dawood's mistress. Years later, however, Mandakini denied she ever had a secret relationship with Dawood the truth is still up for speculation.
0: With the 1990s well underway, Dawood's reputation caught the eye of other nefarious groups in the region, specifically Pakistan's Inter-Services Intelligence Agency.
1: It was Dawood's smuggling routes that initially captured their interest. Estimates suggest that until 1991, smugglers brought nearly 200 tons of gold into India each year. However, changes to gold imports in 1992 caused prices to crash, which put this part of Dawood's trade under pressure. He knew he needed to recover the lost revenue.
0: And the ISI wanted to use some of Dawood's smuggling routes to transport weapons and ammunition. With India's economy destabilized by the crash of gold, ISI saw it as an opportunity to further undermine Mumbai. They wanted Dawood's help.
1: The ISI had been deemed a terrorist group by a number of international agencies. They wanted Dawood's help and his influence in maintaining power in India.
0: Dawood initially resisted getting involved with the ISI. He saw the Pakistani agency as a terrorist group and didn't want to work alongside them.
1: But after some convincing from his close associates, especially Tiger Memon, Dawood decided enough was enough. Near the end of 1992, while at his lavish home in Dubai, 37-year-old Dawood Ibrahim went from the boss of a multifaceted illegal empire
0: to international terrorist.
1: Thanks again for listening to Kingpins. Next week, we'll dive into Dawood's participation into the 1993 Bombay bombings and how he has still managed to elude the authorities in the decades since.
0: You can find more episodes of Kingpins and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify.
1: Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, But now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Kingpins, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
0: To stream Kingpins on Spotify, just open the app and type Kingpins in the search bar.
1: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time.
0: Kingpins was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Liebeskind. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Travis Clark. This episode of Kingpins is written by Chandra Thomas and stars Kate Leonard and Howell Hargett.